and so my talk now, sermon, is to build us up for this very important meal that we have in church. <clears throat> and if you're visiting, uh, we're, in a, we're also going through John, and we've got to a passage about Satan. So welcome, visitors. Uh, <laughs> this is a, um, not a light uh, one. Um, so I'm going to try and draw communion, the passage together, and make some sense of it all. With a question, really. Um, what are Christians saved from? The old school Christians used to say this, I've been saved. What do they mean? What have they been saved from? Well, ourselves is an answer. Uh, God's anger against sin is an answer. But also, another answer is darkness, scary things, Satan, hellish things, hell itself. So, in Park End Church, um, we believe in God. We believe that there's credible evidence for God, namely the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's other things as well, but he's the main piece of evidence, and that he's worthy of worship, and that there's a spirit world, not just tables and chairs, but there's more to life. And therefore, if there's a God and credible evidence, we also believe that there's credible evidence <coughs> for angels, Sort of part, part and parcel with the same sort of deal, really, isn't it? And if you're in on that and are convinced by evidence, um, you'll also probably believe that there are fallen angels that you might know as demons. Um, and if there's credible evidence that Jesus is the Prince of Light, which the Bible says he is, then it's fair game that there's credible evidence that there's a Prince of Darkness, and we'll get to him in a bit. And if all that seems complete nonsense to you, um, feel free to meet me or anyone in this church anytime for a chat, because we're not absolutely completely mad. Um, there is evidence. You cannot sweep the spirit world under the rug as if it's nothing. However, some of you won't need convincing at all, whether you're Christians or not. Because, at the moment, our culture is fascinated with this type of thing. Um, aliens, witchcraft, the paranormal, the supernatural, ghost hunting programs on ITV2 are often the most watched, on YouTube as well. People love Eastern mysticism, um, gems and pearls and feng shui, um, things hanging from your car, win a mirror in the middle there to bring you good luck. Fortune tellers are often well visited. <clears throat> we try to connect with loved ones that died in different ways. We have breathing techniques to try and connect us to the spirit world and have an inner peace. So you might already be on board of all that stuff. Um, so I don't know where you are in life. We also have communion, which is a vital part of our salvation, where we turn from darkness... We say, thank you, Jesus, for being the Prince of Life. We, like, feed on him and his ways. That's what this meal is. So let's pull all this together. Um, we're in John. We're at the Last Supper. Um, that's what it's called. It was one of the early ones now. Might call it the first one now. And we're sort of mimicking it a bit here. And in uh, John 20, uh, 13, 21, someone's going to betray Jesus at this meal. Um, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled, and he said, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me at this meal. All right? 
Now, no one knows who it is. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one he meant. Who is it? Who's going to do the dirty on Jesus? They want to know, verse 23, one of them said, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was reclining next to him, Simon Peter motioned to the disciples and said, ask him which one does he mean? Who's going to betray him? Um, leaning back against Jesus, he said, Lord, who is it? So they want to know. And then Jesus gives John the inside scoop in verse 26. Uh, Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I'll give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then he dipped it and gave it to Judas Iscariot. Okay? Controversial little note on communion, just in passing, by the way. In this meal here, they're all reclining and relaxed and talking and having fellowship around Jesus. Very different to what it's become now with our formality. You ever ask why? It's sort of cold and clinical now, isn't it? But here, he's reclining on Jesus, chatting. So I'm just putting that out there for you to think about, because I'm going to a field in Devon, so you can't get a hold of me. Uh, take it up with the elders. But I know some churches that take John chapter 13 very seriously, and their communion, and I'm not saying it's a better way, but they chat after the service, they pray in little groups, and when they're ready, they walk up in little friendship groups, and they break a bit of bread, and they're smiling, and singing a bit, and eating, and then they'll drink the wine, and silence isn't spiritual, and noise isn't spiritual. Loving Jesus is spiritual. And I think then you just sort of arrange your things accordingly. And yes, I've read 1 Corinthians 11, which tells us to take this meal seriously. But that's different from being somber. And that was just a passing point to get you thinking about communion. Anyway, verse 22. I find this a scary verse. Back to the main topic today. His disciples stared at each other at a loss to know who was going to betray him. Now we're talking today about Jesus, Satan, and Judas. None of them know who was going to betray Jesus, who the evil one in the room was. Have you ever seen pictures of Judas? He always looks like Cyril Sneer. You remember who Cyril Sneer? He was always like this, or with a hood on, like, or completely like his face is in complete darkness. He's pocketing something and looking shifty, isn't he? Um, but it's not in the text. We always make evil somebody else. Oh, it's Cyril Sneer over there. Um, it's out there, it's different from me, it's different from the normal thing of my life. It's the guy with the pitchfork, he's going to do it. And Ju Judas is just, you know, stabbing people with pitchforks. It's not there. Evil looks just like us in this passage. And we're going to admit that at communion. Yeah, guilty, me, not that person over there or next to me, me. The story of human history is this. Evil is quite at home in tidy-looking people. Even church treasurers in the um, story of Judas. Not our church treasurer, I hasten to say. Uh, evil is at home in church people, helpful people, young people, poor people, rich people, the laundrette, the person who drives the train, the jogger, the footballer. And Judas is... Well, we're all capable of being Judas. Distrusting, loving something else more than God. To get our goal, we'll cross anyone to get it. That's a human history, that is. Read a history book. And then, we get to verse 27 in our preamble for communion. As soon as Jesus, Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus 
told him. And that's sort of my verse of the day. It's a frightening verse, and it's true Satanism. He takes the bread. He's told to go and do what he has to do. Satan enters him. He leaves. No one really knows why. And then two very different paths unfold for the two J's. It's the story of human history. Judas goes out to do his father's will, small f. Jesus goes out to do his father's will, capital F. And the pertinent verse is 30, where John goes, and it was night for Judas. Dark. John does that a lot. He plays on words to make a point. It is always night for a human when they say no to Jesus. Because Jesus is light. And if you walk out of a room with light in, what do you walk into? A dark room. And you could leave this room at 12 o'clock. It's midday, but you could be in the dark, according to John. No Jesus, no light, according to this chapter. And our job as church is to believe that and help people to see that and share it. It's always awkward and you'll lose friends. But if we believe Jesus is light, you will want to see your loved ones trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. John has been doing this light and dark thing his whole book so that we get the point as we come to communion. This is light. Uh, John says in John 3, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Then he goes on to say, Jesus is light. Turn to him and you'll be in light. And here in John chapter 13, we're witnessing that light. Light has come, darkness legs it out the room. That's what happens in chapter 13. Darkness takes stuff from Jesus. I'll have the communion, I'll have the bread and the wine, but I do not want your love and I do not want your life because I prefer money. And this is the point. His hardened heart becomes fertile ground for real darkness, for Satan to move in. Now, this is next level darkness, just on levels. The Bible says anything outside of Jesus is dark. Uh, 1 John 5.19 says the whole world is in darkness because it rejects Jesus. But it also says Judas now reaches the next level of darkness. Level 10. Any computer gamers in the room? Well, Judas has gone through the game. Now he gets to the boss. And he's going to lose to the boss. Because... He said no to Jesus that one too many times, and now the boss of the darkness has a personal interest in him, and he moves in. It's like a safety net has been cut, and now he's free pickings for the lion of darkness, Satan. And I'm asking, if we're going to take this seriously, whatever form we choose to have this service in, what are we saved from? Well, today we learn darkness, devils, Satan. And you now might be asking, if you're new around here, well, who's Satan? Here's a few answers. You know some humans start off well and then they end up bad and in their funerals someone goes, what a terrible waste of life. 
The Bible says Satan was an anointed angel, a cherub, and he started well and he ended bad. He had a role when he was in the presence of God, according to Ezekiel chapter 28. Do you know what his role was? He was in charge of music as an angel. And now he knows very effectively how to use music to harm people. And therefore, it's no surprise that you look at the history of music, there's often satanic symbols all over it. You ever wondered why? He knows what he's doing. He can use that one. In Isaiah chapter 14, he's called the star of the morning. He was beautiful, and he can still appear attractive. You can leave here and go, what a load of dark rubbish that Park End talked about this morning. I'm going to embrace, and whatever comes after that will seem light. It can appear attractive. And then Matthew chapter 25 in Ephesians 2 recognizes him now as the head of the army against God, the chief Jesus hater. And most of us will never really think about him. We'll sort of shrug it off. And he loves that because he keeps quiet and he just lulls people his way. If you know Greek, you'll know him by this name, Diabolos. It means liar. It means slanderer. It means murderer. And his two greatest lies are to get you to believe a lie about who God is and who you are. Because if he gets you to believe a lie about who God is, and who you are, you're marching in step with him and his kingdom. He's a talker. In the Bible, he's a whisperer. And in the Bible, he's a shouter. And if he had a body, and he was standing on your lawn outside of your house, shouting the stuff he shouts, you wouldn't let him in. In fact, you'd call the police, or you'd call me. Someone remove this fiend on my lawn. But he doesn't often have a body. So we often let him in. And we listen. And I meet people who have been in his grip, in darkness, and they say this about themselves. I'm hopelessly ugly in every way. I'm unlovable. I'm stupid. I'm beyond hope. I'm beyond repair. I've gone too far. God has rejected me. And then they harm themselves psychologically or sometimes physically. And the answer is, that's someone else talking. You've called him off your lawn and into your mind and into your heart. And you're starting to believe lies. You want to get him off your lawn. And this table shows a big reminder of this. If you have believed a lie about yourself, forgiveness comes down from heaven. Unforgiveness is pulled up from hell. We can all be forgiven. We are all utterly loved by God this morning. But you won't realize that. You believe in a lie about who God is and who you are. He might also cause you to forget things about God. Have you read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis? That's clever. Two demons saying to each other this. It's funny how people always picture us putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. And you might never think about how wonderful God is and how wonderful church is. Another lie is this. Being in his kingdom is freedom. That's a lie. Because he enslaves people. This is his way. Every person in this room has a bait. And Satan puts that on a hook. He doesn't do things that you hate. 
He doesn't make you do things that you hate. He helps you to do things that you love. That's what he does in the Bible. He's doing it with Judas. Here's the money. Have it. But those things are bad. And those things are wrong. And they're addictive. And they're enslaving. And he will give us whatever we want just so long as he is our king and that you serve in his kingdom. Sex, do it with anyone in any form or shape you like. Money, have it all in any way you like. You just stay on my team. But the Bible says it's all a lie. We remember that as we get closer to this table. If you know original languages, you'll also might know him by this name. Apollyon. That's what he's called in Revelation. What does that mean? Destroyer. Of what? People. And what you find in the Gospels is, whenever Jesus is trying to redeem people, that is when Satan does his work. Anyone that comes to Christ is a loss for Satan. He's the originator of sin. And I've got lots of Bible verses to back that up, but I won't keep you much longer. He's the originator of false religions, and I've got Bible verses to back that up. As long as he can keep anybody from the true Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, he's got some friends. The demonic realm. Do you know who they're frightened of? Jesus. They have extreme fear of Jesus. And whenever they meet him, they go, Please don't cast us into hell before our time. They know him well. They know truth. They hate truth. They know their Bibles better than anyone. If they went to the theological college around the corner, they'd get an A. But guess what? You can know your Bible, and you can hate God. And they can oppress people. Oppression is when all of a sudden, like a fiery dart in your life, you just have an extreme urge to sin, or to hurt yourself or somebody else, or to deny God's Word, or you feel spiritually dead and without hope, and you become in bondage to sinful things. But in John 13, as we come to the end, they could also possess people. And that is when they take a more active role in the life of a particular person. And the fascinating part about John 13 is, this is the arch nemesis at work here, Satan. Not a demon, because Jesus must be stopped. And if you're on the fence about choosing light this day, just look how Satan would have all of us if Jesus just let him loose. Look at what happens when the mask is dropped. For Judas, he gets his money, and it's at the cost of his life. He has an empty life. He's stripped of joy and purpose. He does nothing but go headlong into destruction, and he kills himself. And the demons, when they get hold of people in the Bible, you'll find this. People end up dwelling in tombs. They take themselves away from people, from church, from family, and from friends. They become extremely violent, strangely strong. They weep, and they wail, and they harm themselves and others. And as I draw this to an end, one of the reasons I've come to you as your minister is to urge people to flee from the darkness and grasp the light. Time doesn't permit me to tell you about my personal experience that I've had in the 15 years of ministry that I've had, especially in the South Wales Valleys where this stuff is rife. But the point of this morning, as we come to the table, is for me to tell you, with all the authority of the Bible,
that Jesus saves from darkness. Real darkness. Frightening darkness. Not like the films. And I'm trying to give you a sense that when it comes to this type of darkness, you're all in way over your heads. And here it is. Jesus saves from all of this. So be at peace as you place your trust in him. And join a church where all of your experiences of the spirit life are safe and clean and warm because they're centered around the Lord Jesus Christ who's safe and clean and warm. And church has this divine power over darkness in Matthew 10 and Luke 10 and Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. And you can be part of it completely safe in the arms of Jesus. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And remember this, all of this account in John 13 happened so Jesus could be consumed by darkness and the devils danced on his grave for a couple of days. He let it feed on him and kill him so that he can turn all of that into light so all of us will never go anywhere near it. Darkness will never harm his bride the church. And these things are written so that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we have life in his name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.